0: The Women's Health Project is produced on Gadigal land as well as other parts of Australia. In the spirit of reconciliation, Women's Agenda acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea, and community. We pay our respect to their elders, past, present, and future, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. In the early 1960s, the oral contraceptive pill arrived in Australia and it changed everything. But not immediately, not for all women. Accessing the pill at first wasn't easy. It was initially only available to married women and doctors could make choices over who to prescribe the pill to. It was also expensive. It carried a 27.5% luxury tax initially until 1972 when then Prime Minister Gough Whitlam abolished such taxes. But overall, with the arrival of the pill in Australia came more control for women to plan families to avoid unintended pregnancies and have more control over their sex lives. Having reproductive control also gave women control of their work and careers. It heralded the age of increased women's workforce participation of women working after getting married and after having children. So that was six decades ago. How far has innovation and contraception come? And is accessing contraception, particularly the many more methods that now exist today, as easy as it should be? In today's episode of the Women's Health Project, we are exploring contraception with the help of a number of expert guests. This series is made possible thanks to the excellent support of Organon, the recently launched pharmaceutical company for women. Thank you for listening. In some parts of the world, you can access multiple methods of contraception for free. That's not the case in Australia. In fact, it's never really been on the agenda. But in France, all women up until the age of 25 can now access contraception for free. Women are already accessing such things in the UK and across other parts of Europe. Women can access long-acting reversible methods of contraception, commonly referred to as LARCs, that are given at the point of care for free. They can get prescriptions for oral forms of contraception filled by their local pharmacy for free. In Australia, while some concessions are available along with some bulk billing options when procedures are involved, most Australians accessing contraception still pay something, especially for newer forms of contraception. These are costs that sometimes put limitations on who can and can't access contraception and the form that they can access it in. It's limitations and barriers to access it have, unfortunately, continued for decades – So let's go back in time for a moment and consider a time before the pill was available as a form of contraception, a time when there was reluctance across the medical world to fund and support research into options that could provide women with more choice and power over their own fertility. It took women to get the very idea of contraception firmly on the agenda. It was women who brought it to the public conversation, and in many cases, it was women who funded the research. One private philanthropist, Catherine McCormick, is credited with funding much of the research done by Gregory Pincos and John Rock, the creators of the pill. The first trial started in 1954. But even once the first pill arrived in Australia, it was still only available to a certain kind of woman. She was expected to be married and she needed to have access to a doctor who would decide whether or not she could receive the pill. It seems crazy now to think that single women couldn't access the pill or even to think about the power doctors had in determining who they would write prescriptions for. But barriers still persist today for accessing contraception, particularly when it comes to education and just what we know about the kinds of options that are available. Murray Stopes lists 15 forms of contraception on its website. Many of us think condoms and the oral pill when thinking about contraception, but there are more methods, including implants and vaginal rings and IUDs, injections and more. The problem is we don't always have all the contraceptive options discussed with us. This is Dr. Katrina Melville, a specialist in sexual and reproductive health and the Deputy Medical Director of Murray-Stopes Australia. She says there is a lot of room for education around contraception. And
1: that's education of the people that are looking for contraception. So they may not be aware of all the choices that are out there. And, you know, also um, the, the correct knowledge and science behind side effects or the kind of processes for insertion and removal. There's a lot of myths surrounding contraception. So that's education of people looking for contraception. But I, I guess also education amongst providers, so, that they know what are the most efficacious methods, what's available, and also that they take up extra training, for example, to insert some of the methods that require a little procedure. So, education and sort of information, I think, is definitely a barrier. You also just have geographical access issues. So for example, if you're living in a rural area in small town with one doctor who doesn't fit an intrauterine device, and that's what you want, it can involve many hours of travel to a metro area to get that device fitted. That may be really tricky with your work or your family. So there's those kind of practical barriers. And they're definitely, as with most things in health, they're exacerbated if you live in a rural or regional area.
0: Professor Danielle Mazza focuses her work on breaking down barriers, particularly when it comes to information around contraceptive options. She's passionate about educating women on contraception and giving them as much information as possible to ensure they have all the knowledge they need.
2: Unfortunately, there are a lot of barriers inherent in that. You know, for the majority of women, it works pretty well. But for women who have special needs, who are disadvantaged, it can be problematic because in Australia, general practice is generally fee-for-service, which means that there are cost barriers often, not only towards the consultation where you receive the information, Um, but also if you're going to have a procedure, you choose a contraceptive that requires insertion, there may be costs for the insertion of that device. There are also costs within the Pharmaceutical Benefits Scheme, particularly because a lot of contraceptives in Australia are not on the Pharmaceutical Benefits Scheme, particularly many pills in the range that we have and are on private prescription. So I guess cost barriers are a critical one. The other barriers is just kind of access to health professionals. And I guess in primary care, we're moving more and more towards a team-based approach where nurses uh, deliver care. Pharmacists can also deliver care and other health workers in different settings like Aboriginal health workers. So I think cost and access are the main issues that make the whole kind of seeking out of contraception potentially hazardous. (laughs) But I think things are improving all the time and um, particularly with the feminisation of general practice. Many GPs out in the community are providing an excellent service and part of it is also about women finding a GP that's good for them. Dr Deborah
0: Bateson is the medical director with Family Planning New South Wales. She urges those requiring contraception to get as much information as they can and to get that information from credible sources that are evidence-based.
3: We know there's a lot of misinformation on the website so I think that's one of the things but it's making sure that people are aware of all the different options and the new options and it's all too easy to keep going back to the doctor and getting another pill script but not be aware that there's actually a lot of innovations and, and actually recently some new products on the market so it's about understanding you know just having that information that there are other things and that they may suit you well and what suits you when you're you know 20 may be very different to when you're in your 30s maybe you've had children maybe not and, and then again in your 40s and even early 50s sometimes. I think, you know, we can always, always, all of us strive, you know, to improve our communication, improve information giving. And I think, you know, obviously GPs is very, you know, they've got a lot going on, uh, but it is important that we all stay up to date with the latest developments and we do have that information. And maybe, you know, it's not about just giving all that information in one consultation. Sometimes you can go away with information, work out what what's going to suit you. But I, I, certainly some of the evidence, the research that we've done has shown that sometimes, you know, women can feel a bit dissatisfied and and feel that they're perhaps not always getting all that up-to-date, latest information. And again, it's not just about putting it on women, of course. You know, I'm saying here, you know, arm yourself with information. I mean, that's a really important thing. Improving, you know, that, that health literacy around different contraceptives is really important. But it is important that you get that information from your doctor as well. A woman may make a decision, look, this particular type of contraception is going to be perfect for me. But where she lives in her particular town, You know, we know it's more challenging rural areas. There may not be anyone to actually put in an IUD, for instance. They may not have had the training. And I think these access barriers are real. We've got a fantastic workforce in nurses in Australia, but we're not utilising these nurses because there isn't a, a remuneration pathway for the nurses to actually be paid to insert these IUDs, for instance. So I think there are some policy gaps that we could really look into, which is important. I think that, you know, again, some of the work we've done, you know, women with complex medical history sometimes talk to women living with HIV for instance and sometimes you know I'll hear that they've wanted to use contraception there's no reason why they couldn't use particular methods but they haven't always been able to access it often because of a bit of misinformation so I think you know there are different challenges. There are also access issues around some of the choices
0: women make particularly when it comes to young women choosing to be child free and seeking more permanent methods of contraception.
3: We know that some women are making decisions to have a permanent method you know tubal sterilization they 've either because they 've completed their families or they 've made that considered decision to be child free and we know that it can be hard sometimes for younger women to access that and, and it 's about ensuring that women are listened to and you know their rights are upheld it 's easier to get a vasectomy than tubal ligation so there 's work going on to ensure that as the medical profession we're aware of ensuring that we listen to women listen to what they want and you know, work together around that shared decision making.
0: So Deborah stays on this point of inclusion, saying that the need for inclusion is becoming more and more critical for those in the medical profession in order to understand and respect contraceptive needs.
3: In the medical profession and in the nursing profession, we're more and more aware of that need to include, in this case, we're talking about women and contraception, or again, we may be talking about gender diverse people and trans people in contraception, but involve the users, sometimes they consumers, but the users in these, you know, if we're designing research projects, if we're thinking about policy changes, absolutely needing that input from the very beginning, not just lip service as well, but we need to have that sort of meaningful engagement. So, you know, when it comes to contraception, we know that women want to be able to be involved in the design of new contraceptives so we can actually develop contraceptives that women want to use. So I think it's vitally important, you know, and when it's involving designing services in rural areas, for instance, uh, you know, how do women want to receive their contraception? Who do they want to receive? contraceptive information from and women need to play a major part from the very beginning in all these discussions and I think we're starting this approach but you know again we can always strive to do more it's vital.
0: Dr Katrina Melville is a specialist in obstetrics and gynaecology with a subspecialty in sexual and reproductive health. She says contraception is at the forefront of her work every day and she notes that there's still stigma attached to that.
1: I really became interested in this part of health because I did feel it was quite marginalised and perhaps not something that's seen as so heroic as delivering babies or um, doing major gynecological surgery. But I found it this, an area of health that's just really interested me. And perhaps because it is quite stigmatised as well, particularly some of the other reproductive health areas I work in. But it's also incredibly rewarding when you have sort of healthy clients that you're just helping to sort of fulfil their potential by enabling them to have good methods of contraception or to look after their reproductive health in other ways.
0: I asked Katrina in what way she sees contraception as being marginalised, and she said it comes back to the fact that it's still something you have to pay for in Australia. Meanwhile, a number of new contraceptive methods introduced over the past few years are still not listed on the PBS here.
1: If you can't control your fertility, you can't really control much else in your life. It's still quite astounding that in 2022, we don't have free access to contraception. We kind of try and deal with the aftermath of people not having adequate contraception instead of perhaps trying to sort of put in public health measures so that people actually have access to contraception they want. But also in terms of marginalisation, I think it's never seemed to be a big priority for pharmaceutical organisations to develop or bring in sort of novel methods of contraception into Australia. I suppose the licensing process is quite bureaucratic and expensive. So generally, some of the methods that we've had approved in the last few years have been more along the lines of new oral methods. But in other countries in the world, there are methods available that we don't have here, for example. So it takes quite
0: a long time to get a new method in Australia um, and to get it approved. There's another side to this, male contraception, something that goes beyond condoms and is less permanent than a vasectomy. We're constantly learning about new innovations and research in this space, but there's ultimately not much investment occurring to shift things enough for men to take on this load. Is it realistic to ever think that we will have other options in this space?
2: I think the ideal would be that in a heterosexual relationship that both partners took responsibility for contraception. And the reality is that in many relationships there is not an equal power base, and there is not equal knowledge or understanding of these issues. And so the onus often falls on the woman. I guess the other issue, though, to think about is that many contraceptive products actually have different benefits for women. And so the choice of product naturally tends towards a woman. So for example, if a woman has very severe period pain, then she can talk about that in the context of contraception with her doctor and choose a product that helps her to improve the period pain. Or if she wants to be able to, for example, not get periods on a regular basis and would really like to be as period free as possible. Again, she can choose a product to assist her to do that. So I think on the one hand, we can talk about in a relationship where there is equality, men taking more responsibility for contraception. But at the same time, we have to acknowledge that a lot of the contraceptive products that we have can benefit women in various ways. And so naturally that tends towards the woman making the choices.
0: Professor Danielle Mazza raises another critical issue about coercion around contraceptive products. She says it's essential that no woman feels coerced into taking up any kind of product and that she warns against the availability of products as being seen as coercive.
2: There is an argument being pushed that the promotion of long-acting reversible contraception in Australia is forcing women towards those kinds of products. And I think we've got to be careful to challenge that. We have a problem in Australia about low levels of take-up because these products are not actually being offered to women or are not accessible to women. So I think when we are undertaking activities and research and promotion and education of health professionals and women in the community about these products it shouldn't be perceived as coercion towards these products uh, but rather just trying to increase their availability so that women truly have an option and can choose the best contraception for them because what you use when you're 20 is not necessarily what you're going to want to use when you're 30 or 40 or 50 (laughs) Um, so we've we've really got to try and make all options available and in Inform both health professionals and women out in the community about the range um, and the benefits and the disadvantages of all products so that we can truly get informed choice.
0: There are so many opportunities available, particularly at the policy level, to provide more options and information and access points to contraception for women. For one, we could look to examples overseas where contraception is offered for free. In other areas, we could look at the options available here and who can and can't administer them. We could look at ensuring that nurses are fairly compensated for the insertion and removal of long-acting reversible devices and that GPs are able to discuss all contraceptive options with patients, improving contraceptive literacy and in the process empowering women to choose the option that best suits them and their lifestyle. As we spoke to experts, we heard something we so often hear across the issues we cover on Women's Agenda that ultimately impacts women's health and safety – We will get better outcomes for everyone with more women involved at the decision-making table. Just think back to the creation of the pill. It wouldn't have happened without the advocacy and even the private philanthropic funding that came from women. This is Professor Danielle Mazza.
2: I think the landscape would change with more women in power in politics. I think women have a better understanding of the issues and would be more likely to champion them. I think the current political environment makes contraception and abortion, for that matter, still difficult to talk about, particularly when the political balance at the moment has the National Party and independents holding uh, so much sway in terms of power in Parliament. I think nevertheless, we should acknowledge the fact that there have been recent advances in many aspects uh, related to contraception. We have got a new pill on the market this year, a, a new progestogen only pill. From March of this year, there are going to be increasing Medicare rebates for IUD insertion, which will help GPs to deliver this service more. We are seeing some more funding flowing through to research in contraception. But we do fall very far behind a lot of the advances in policy that we know exist overseas. For example, in France, contraception is free, and that's the case in in many developed countries around the world. And these kinds of really important policy options wouldn't really fly, I think, uh, in the Australian context. I think it's unfortunate that in Australia, because of the way our health system is set up, there is competition between pharmacy and general practice in the political arena, and it would be really good for both disciplines to work more closely together to help women to be able to access contraception when they need it. On the
0: topic of contraception, it's clear there are many, many more discussions to have and opportunities to enable better access for women. But overall, it's important to always consider just how much progress has been made and the difference enabling women to take this control has made to everything. Once again, we've discussed a lot in today's episode. If you or someone you know has mental health concerns, you can call Lifeline on 13 11 14 or Beyond Blue on 1300 224 636. If you or someone you know is experiencing family violence, you can contact 1800RESPECT on 1800 737 732. The Women's Health Project is produced by Agenda Media, publisher of Women's Agenda. The project is editorially independent, made possible thanks to the support of Organon, the recently launched pharmaceutical company dedicated to a better and healthier everyday for every woman. Thank you to today's guests for joining us. Thank you to our producer Alison Ho for putting the show together. If you did like the show and you made it this far, so I think that you did, you can help us out by leaving a review, which really helps others to find the show. You may also want to go back and check out previous episodes and subscribe to the feed. Thank you for listening.